Can wine change your entire life? For one woman, it did. And we're not talking about just drinking wine. We're talking about following your big passion. Think it's too late to change your career? It may not be. We're talking today to a former nurse who spent decades in hospitals, but changed gears completely to follow her passion, wine. She now has a very successful company and charity, and we're finding out how she did it. You've made it this far in your career, but is something holding you back from getting to the top? We're ditching the culture of competitiveness. We're women working together to help other women. We are Think Tank of Three. I'm Audrea, your business development coach. I'm Julie, your digital marketing strategist. And I'm Catherine, your media and public speaking expert. Three women from different backgrounds coming together to empower, support, and encourage other women professionally and personally. Let's do this together. Hi, this is Katherine Janicek here with Audrea Fink and Julie Holton. Our guest today is Denise Cody from Seller Angels. It's a wine marketing curator that helps people all over the United States find wines made from lesser known vineyards and gives money to charities with each bottle they sell. Sounds pretty awesome. Denise calls herself the chief operating angel. She's co-CEO with her husband. He's the idea guy and she gets it all done. I love it. Denise, you're the implementer. This is such a great story and such a big career transition. Denise, how long were you a nurse? Thanks, ladies, and thanks, Julie, for the question. I worked in surgery for 20 gratifying years, including um, three mission trips to South America, making people see. We did cataract surgery. Wow. Amazing. And then, you know, made the, made the leap because, you know, you, you, you do that for so many years and you're just ready to go out and do something on your own. What made you decide to leave nursing and switch to your passion? And were you maybe a little scared of not being successful in that shift? It's a major shift from nursing to wine. It was a big shift. I don't think I knew what I was in for. And in 2007, I made the leap, opened a wine shop. And at the time I had no fear. Um, but then we opened the doors and my fantasy of having people lined up around the corner wasn't there. And I kind of thought to myself, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, the challenge was on. And it was through that wine shop that Cellar Angels was born, actually. We were buying from distributors here in the area. And we realized that there were so many great small producers, small wine producers out in Napa and Sonoma, particularly, that's where our roots were. And we wanted to make certain that they got um, introduced to wine enthusiasts. Wine distributors won't pick them up because they have too small of a production. And so during that time, around 2010, we launched Seller Angels to leverage the internet, kind of uh, got the inspiration from uh, a company called Groupon here in town. And we thought, why can't we leverage the internet to help out these small producers? And so Seller Angels was born. Okay. So what you're getting at is that, you know, when we go to a restaurant and we open up a menu, depending on what city you're in, you have a selected number of wines that you might see in that city or that region that you live in in the United States, right? And that's controlled by the distributors? Yes, that's correct. So um, mostly distributors are going to uh, pick up as their clients, the larger wine producers, and then they're going to promote them. And it's easier to promote with larger volumes, right? These smaller producers, they can't 
leverage their very, very tiny production. Some of the ones that we work with only have 50 or 100 cases. There's no producer that is going to try and distribute that, you know, citywide or even nationwide. So they kind of get left behind. So you're helping small businesses and like family owned vineyards. Exactly, Catherine. These are small family run wineries. Do wine shops, like our regional local wine shops, follow the same thing? Are they part of the same distribution as maybe the restaurant? Yes. So anywhere you go, at least in, in the city that I live in, which is, is Chicago, um, while it may seem like there is so many options, if you go to you know, either the bigger wine locations or the small wine shops or even a restaurant, if you look closely, you'll see pretty much the same brands everywhere you go. On every shelf, you know, even on, in Jewel, they recently started carrying wine in CVS. So, you know, but these again are the large, large production wines. Just to give you an example, there is a very large winery that you know of that is sold at Trader Joe's that might cost $3 a bottle and their production is 16 million cases a year. So we're working with wineries that are doing a couple barrels a year sometimes. We work with wineries that are like 5,000 cases and under. We tell their stories through video and then we hope that you make a connection and you want to buy from direct from them. Denise, your business is called Seller Angels and that is because of the charitable a part of your business. Can you talk about that a little bit? For each bottle you sell, you also donate money to charities. Right. And these small wineries love to get back to their communities and they're asked multiple times for donations. And so one of the things they like about working with us is that we have a charitable component. So from the consumer side, you come to the website, you find a wine that looks interesting to you. You have watched the behind the scenes video. It resonates with you and you go to make a purchase. And when you make your purchase, you get to choose from our 15 charity partners, something that resonates with you. Let's just say it's a military charity, for example. So the Patriot Education Fund is is a great one. You can then buy your wine, support a small business winery and a small charity as well. That's awesome. How did you guys go about selecting the charities that you'd offer on your website? That's a great question. And this is a rotating selection. So they change ongoing. We do have some that have been on uh, longer partners and some that uh, have recently been added. Another one that maybe people have heard of, uh, but maybe it's, you know, it's not in the, your everyday vernacular would be Gilda's Club, Gilda Radner. Chris Kyle Foundation is another military charity, for example. Uh, this is the movie American Sniper. So those are some examples of things that we work with. Pediatric Cancer Research Foundation. That's great. It makes you feel, you know, wine itself is so intimidating. It could be like, I don't know which bottle, you know, it's overwhelming. You don't feel like, you know, you don't, you don't, you're, you can be embarrassed to ask questions, but you're taking it and you're making it feel good. Like with that angel part, with the charity part, I feel like if I buy through your website or, you know, it's, it's, or I learn about a wine through your website, I'm able to kind of, you know, give back also. It's wonderful. So the, why is wine so intimidating? I remember when I was in my 20s, I started logging, like I remember like logging in this book, all the wines that I drank and whether or not I liked them because I wanted to not buy the same bottle I didn't like or the same year I didn't like. And I had read it somewhere like in Money or Forbes magazine. I just remember being this like 26 year old, like logging my wines because I didn't want to make a big mistake and then have to 
you know, either drink a glass of wine I didn't want or have to say, you know, I really don't like this because that's embarrassing too when you, when you have to send back a bottle or send back a glass of wine. So why in general, like why is this so difficult and why is it so intimidating? It's the, the aura that has been put on this industry from wine snobs, just to put it very simply. I mean, these are the people who they want to, if you watched uh, the movie Sideways, for example, yeah. And he says, oh, there's, there's peach and there's this and this. And, and then he puts his finger over his ear and he says, and maybe there is a flutter of something, you know, and it's so pretentious. It just, they made it pretentious, but it doesn't have to be pretentious. In the end, drink what you like. Good. So can you give us like a quick rundown of some just basic wine terms that we need to know to not sound like an idiot? Cause like I, I drink a lot of wine. I love wine. Um, I just started two years ago, like working on building a cellar, which is really hard because I want to drink everything I purchase. But when people start talking about like tannins or mouthy, like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. This tastes good. <laughs> so what are, what are some of the like terms we need to know? And like, what do they mean? Uh, yeah. Let me go through a few with you and okay. let, let me help demystify some of the snobbery. So when you see Niles on Sideways doing his, his you know, assessment of the wine, assessment is a process like anything else. You're either drinking or you're tasting. Um, so when you're tasting, you're gone, going to look at the wine and this is just called sight. And then you're going to smell the wine and this is called the nose. And then you want to taste the wine and these are the flavors that you will taste on your palate. So these are some, some words to, that will be used when you are assessing wine. The tannins, for example, is um, that's that um, sort of that chalky feeling you get in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Like if you had black tea, that's what a tannin is. And tannins come from generally the bigger robust wines like uh, Cabernet. They can also come as, though from other things in lesser quality wines. If they, like for example, if they don't hand de-stem, these are some of the things that our small production wineries do. They hand sort and hand de-stem. Um, so if, there's, if everything's put through a machine, you're gonna get some of those stems in there, that's gonna cause some higher tannins. So that's what tannin is. And it can, and it can come from its authentic source, which is the skin, or it can uh, come from uh, lesser quality practices. And then, uh, what else did you say you said? Tannin. Oh, mouthfeel. Oh, uh, malolactic fermentation. Is that your thinking? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I've just been told like this has a mouthfeel of. Oh, mouthfeel. And yes. I'm like, I don't, it feels like wine in my mouth. Yep. Yeah. So mouthfeel is um, like a 3D perception of the wine. Does it have tannin? That's a mouthfeel. Does it feel fruity? Is it sweet? Does it and then when I swallow it, does it have a long finish? Do I still taste it 15, 20, 25, even 30 seconds later? So that would be the finish. And this is, again, things that you would do when you're, when you're assessing wine. And a lot of people, I mean, if you go to, to, do, to look at our tasting notes, people love tasting notes. So we do them on every single wine. When I do tasting notes for my business, I often do the finish because people love to know how long does it last. 
Denise, I love hearing you talk about this because your passion really shines through as you start talking. And, and I know our listeners can't see you, but you're smiling and you just really get into it. And this is a passion that you share with your husband, owning this business with him. So I want us to stop for a minute and talk about the business aspect and being entrepreneurs. What is it like owning a, a business with your husband as your partner, your business partner, as well as your life partner? And like any other relationship, um, there are things that come together nicely and sometimes there are challenges. So um, one of the things about our relationship is that I find working with him comforting and frustrating. I find it synergistic and frustrating, and I find it productive and frustrating. <laughs> I'm kind of seeing a theme here. This is great. But over, overall, I think we're a really good fit. He's sort of the, the dreamer, and I'm the one who um, gets things done. I'm the practical one. Um, most of the time, it's a really good fit. It's effortless. Uh, but there are times we have to sit and negotiate on things that we disagree on. The, I think the biggest benefit for us is that we can be super efficient so we can have an impromptu meeting on a beach. Cool. Do you ever find that because you work together and live together and vacation together that like sometimes turning off work is difficult? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe how do you, I mean, do you, how do you navigate that? Uh, really, it's about setting boundaries and then the, you know, having reasonable, thoughtful, negotiating conversations. You know, you're going into a restaurant and you just set the boundaries because clearly there's wine that's going to be on the table and it's going to lead to a conversation about our business. So you just kind of say, you know, this is sort of a safe zone. We're not going to talk about wine in this dinner. Oh, that's good. That's a really good practice. Like we're going to just be us mm -hmm. as a couple tonight for dinner. I love it. I think everyone should take that as advice. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, don't talk about the kids. Don't talk about your job. Like there's got to be something that's sacred for just the couple to stay close. Right. right. Um, all right. So you have a couple, you already gave some really great tips for Audrea telling her, you know, about the mouthfeel, et cetera, but let's go through a couple more tips. Um, most of our listeners are professional people who may come across this, they're ordering wine for a group or, um, you know, maybe some friends at a restaurant and they, or what if it's a work dinner and it could be pretty daunting. Um, just again, that whole pretentiousness, it's intimidating. What can we do to sound a little more educated about wine? Let's start with the lists. Like how are the lists organized? Did you have a tip on getting the best price also on a certain variety? Yeah. So the um, the lists are generally still kind of leaning towards the the, the snobby side of uh, the wine industry in that they're they're categorized by like grape type or region. Well, if I said to and I, I have no idea what the wine knowledge is of um, this lovely group of ladies here, but if I said to you, oh Bordeaux, what kind of grape am I going to taste in this wine? You know, mostly you probably wouldn't know. So the, the wine lists that are categorized by region or even grape type, you may not know what a tanat is. <laughs> so the, these things sometimes can be a little bit elusive. I was a little enthused on my trip to California recently. I found a couple of lists that were categorized by taste style. Um, mm. I wanna, I'd like to see this moving a little bit more in this direction with, with um, a lot of the restaurant wine lists. So for example, they had a section called bold reds. Well, that's pretty explanatory. Yeah. Like and that. my list. whites. 
So I'd like to see a movement like that. And then as far as uh, a value, Catherine, I would say stick to more of the obscure regions like um, Chile, New Zealand, or Portugal. So, you know, these may not be Burgundy and Rhone and Napa Valley, but they are making some amazing wines in, in these regions and the prices haven't caught up yet. I just got back from New Zealand and drank a ridiculous amount of Sauvignon Blanc because that was, was everywhere. And in the States, I never drink it. I'm not a big white drinker, but in New Zealand, like every bottle was good. Yeah, New Zealand is really starting to come on the radar and they're upping their game. They're, they're doing a great job. Uh, you know, on that note, so it, let's just say that you're in a restaurant and somebody says, um, I'd like a Pinot Noir and this is one of your clients and you're paying. <laughs> so you wanna find a good Pinot Noir at a good price, right? Well, the go-to region for Pinot Noir would be Burgundy, the most famous Pinot Noir region in the world. It also has some of the most expensive wines in the world. So to your point, I would pick a Pinot Noir from New Zealand. They're amazing. Good to know. So I'm in the Pacific Northwest. So Oregon is our Pinot space. And then I don't actually, I should know, but I don't know what Washington does. If you are looking at something that's like local in my region, right? If I'm at a restaurant here, is it worth getting something from like New Zealand for Pinot versus an Oregon Pinot? I would, I would say Oregon would be considered local to you. And if it were me, I always try to, to support local. So Oregon tends to be more Pinot Noir. Uh, Washington tends to be a little bit more Mer, uh, Merlot and Cab and things like that as far as reds go. I mean, if there, if there is a Pinot in your area, I would always support local. Not only do you support your local community, you, you, small producer, because it's going to be easier in your local area to get right. access to small producers. But, you know, then you're going to probably get a good quality wine because your restaurant vetted it. I love to hear that, Denise, because Julie here and I will admit I do not know much about wine other than I'll drink it. Even if I don't like it, I'll, I'll pretend and I'll drink it. Um, but Michigan girl here and love our cold climate wines. And I find myself ordering Michigan wines because it's much easier for me to, um, you know, we only have so many of the vineyards here. And so I've come to know which ones I like and don't like, plus supporting local makes it easier for sure. Okay, so when I'm not ordering my Michigan wines, because those are the handful that I know, I know you have some tips on getting a better quality of wine when it comes to ordering by the glass. So what are those tips? Which one should we order? Julie, I'm so glad you asked that. This is, this is such an important thing to know because uh, when you go to a restaurant, like any other business, they're trying to make money, right? And when you look at the buy the glass list, you're gonna, you're gonna tend to wanna go with the less expensive, red or white, whatever you're choosing, that's buy the glass. And this is actually the most marked up wine because they know people choose it the most. So mm -hmm. I say go with the second least expensive. It's so funny you say that. I was just in a restaurant two days ago and they had, one of my favorite, I call them Tuesday night wines because they're cheap and easy. It was too hot to trot. And so you can get too hot to trot for, I think it's like 90 bucks a case at Costco, right? Super cheap, which is also how we buy a lot of our wine. Um, in this restaurant, it was $40 for the bottle. And I was, just, and it was the cheapest bottle. 
Yeah. Well, that's what we ended up buying. And I remember thinking like, but, but that makes sense, right? Like people are going to buy this low priced bottle. And you're spot on because it's so marked up. It's, this is something that my husband and I were just talking about when we were on our business trip in California. When are the restaurants going to start understanding that people are bringing their own wines to restaurants for a reason? They're too overpriced. And like you said, you can get this bottle for, what did you say it was, $9? It, if I buy it in a grocery store, it's 8 or $9. When I buy it at Costco, it's 7 bucks a bottle. It's, yeah, so, and 40 in the restaurant. People yeah. just don't want to spend that. This is why those other tips with going with the more obscure regions are even more important. Absolutely. And I, um, I always feel guilty when I do buy a bottle and you, you know, you're buying the ambiance, right? You know, you're at a restaurant, there's all that, but it's, I'm hope Denise that the, there is a change because I think we're all getting smarter and there's so many um, BYOBs in major cities where you can just bring your own bottle of wine or you can buy, pay a corkage fee or something because it's just so frustrating knowing the prices as we all get a little more sophisticated, knowing how much that bottle should be and then having to pay 400% more. It's, it's really frustrating. All right. So what if I'm trying to tell the Psalm or the waiter a price range, but I don't want to actually say it out loud. I want to give them kind of an idea without telling my clients or my friends that I'm looking for a $50 bottle of wine or nothing more than a hundred dollars. How, is there some kind of like a little, you know, how can I say it with still being sophisticated? <laughs> right. Well, um, to avoid the whole thing altogether, you can always look at the, the um, list online or even call ahead and speak to the sommelier before you get there. But if you're there and you're sitting in your chair and you're holding up your wine list and um, you don't know what to pick and you want to stay in a price range, I would call over the sommelier. They'll probably stand over your shoulder and you would say, we're looking for a red wine in this region and point to the price. This is called the pointing trick. If you, if you do have a wine steward or a trained sommelier, they should know uh, exactly what you're talking about. Keep in mind, if you're doing this to your, um, your server that has not been trained in tableside service, they may not know what you're talking about. So you want to make certain that you get the, the restaurant's wine steward or wine sommelier. That's a great tip. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So... One of the things I do a lot with work is we take groups of clients out, right? So we'll take a client out to a dinner after a big closing or after a big win, um, or sometimes just to say thanks for being our client. So if we know that when we go in, we're going to have a markup on our wine, uh, you know, what are some tips we can use to get a good wine that isn't necessarily um, focused on price? And, and does it look bad if we bring our own wine? Yeah, so the couple uh, sort of unwritten rules about bringing your own wine. Number one, never bring a wine that is already on their list. So you're going to want to check that. That's a faux pas. Um, call ahead and find out what the corkage fee is. Okay. Talk to either the general manager or the sommelier and say, this is a special client dinner. I'd like to bring in some wines that are meaningful to this group. What is your corkage fee? And may I do that? Um, they make their money on wine. So you know, hopefully they'll charge a corkage fee and everybody is happy, but just keep that in mind. It is it's a little bit of a, an uncomfortable place to be right now, but by all means, you can absolutely do it. And that's why they charge a corkage fee to make up that difference. 
so I have one more question for you um, about the, this distribution idea. So there are a handful of wineries um, here in Washington that I love. Mosquito Fleet Winery is one of them. It's this teeny tiny little winery in Belfer, Washington, which is nowhere still, but it's where my dad grew up. And then there's uh, Hard Row de Ho, which is a Chelan-based winery that also has 11 North Tasting Room. I love them, but they are never in stores. They are never on the menu. Is there something that, I, like as a personal consumer, I can do to help get them into those places? You can certainly ask for them. That's a good thing. But keep in mind, when these small wineries have to go through the distribution channel, it's called the three-tiered system for a reason. There are multiple stops on the way, and everyone wants their cut. So the best way you can support these wineries is to buy direct from them. Good and, tip. And so, you know, let's just take that restaurant you went to where that one wine was $40 and you had it, you had purchased it for nine or 11. I would say, take it with you to the restaurant and pay the corkage fee. If the corkage fee, even if the corkage fee is, I think $20 is high, but let's just say it is $20, you're still ahead. All right, so before we go, we are collecting advice from successful women in, the, in our communities. So every woman that we have on in our podcast, we ask them a couple, three quick rapid fire questions and we share them uh, with the rest of our think tank forum. So here we go, Denise. Number one, is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wish you would have learned earlier in your career? Yes, I wish I had started networking and building on my network of, you know, not only really powerful women around me, uh, I wish I had done that earlier. What advice would you offer to your younger self 10 years ago? Push through the fear. What do you think the most important skill to hone for a woman is in today's professional setting? I think, at least for me and some of the women around me, I think ask more questions. We tend to be, uh, we think our voices shouldn't be heard that we should just be seen. So I would say, ask more questions, get more clarity. I love it. And this is why we do these kind of podcasts. We ask questions of professional women who started businesses or who manage amazing things. And Denise, that was great. I, I think, well, uh, a little bit like push through the fear. Love Hold it. On, that's a great tip. Push through the fear because we all deal with it every day. And imagine all the things that you wouldn't have achieved with this amazing business that you have if you did not say, you know what? I'm not going to be a surgical nurse anymore. I'm going to push through the fear and I'm going to do this whole new career. And just asking more questions, not saying, oh, I'm going to sound dumb if I ask a question. Because I know I dealt with that when I was younger. And now just asking a question. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's what we're going to continue to do with this podcast. We're going to make sure that we're always asking great questions of successful women like Denise Cody at Seller Angels so you can learn more and we can learn more, the three of us for sure at Think Tank of Three. Denise, before we go, can you share the best way that people can connect with you if they have additional questions about wine or business interests or want to buy wine? How can they find you? So they can find us at sellerangels.com. It's Seller Angels with an S. And uh, keep in mind when you order you get to pick one of the charities that resonates with you and we will give a donation to that charity. I love that. I just think that is like the coolest thing. I don't know any, I don't know of very many companies at all that do that. So kudos to you. That's rad. 
This has been such a great conversation, Denise. Thank you again. If you at home have topics to discuss, send us a message at thinktankof3 at gmail.com and join us as we continue this conversation with Denise online, thinktankof3.com. We blog weekly, subscribe, and you'll get a first alert email. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Be sure to join our private group on Facebook. It's a private group so we can all give and get advice freely. Just look for that group in the community section on our Facebook page. You've made it this far in your career, but is something holding you back from getting to the top? We're ditching the culture of competitiveness. We're women working together to help other women. We are Think Tank of Three. I'm Audrea, your business development coach. I'm Julie, your digital marketing strategist. And I'm Catherine, your media and public speaking expert. Three women from different backgrounds coming together to empower, support, and encourage other women professionally and personally. Let's do this together.